Welcome to the Risk and Repeat Podcast, episode number 104. I'm Rob Wright, editor of Search Security, and I am here back in Chernobyl, our headquarters, Tech Target, Newton, Massachusetts, with my site editor, Peter Lotion. Peter, welcome back. Hi, Rob. We're back from RSA. We made it. We did. We want to go through some of the things that we saw and heard and learned at RSA Conference 2018. Uh, we're not going to go through the whole thing. I was thinking, Peter, this thought just occurred to me. We could probably do a couple uh, um, podcasts, discussions about this, just because there was a lot going on last week, and you just sort of made the comparison to a piece of popular culture about everything that was going on InfoSec-wise at, uh, at RSA. Would you like to say what that <laughs> reference was? Oh, well, um, it, it occurred to me that there's a lot of threads, a lot of plot lines going through the information security world, and they're starting to come together, and it's kind of like Game of Thrones. Yes. So. Yes. Game of Thrones is good. I mean, no one's dying. Right. There are no heads being cut off. No. Uh, n- but. No, no winter coming? Not that we know of. Uh, <laughs> although, you know, at times it felt like human life was at stake in, uh, in San Francisco. So real real quickly, just to uh, get this out of the way, that place was a mess. The Moscone, everything that was going on there, the construction. I'm surprised they pulled it off. I'm, I'm really a credit to the organizers that they were able to get everything with, you know, the construction that was ongoing while we were there. You know, yeah. steel beams and cranes and, and holes in the ground and walls where there used to be corridors and obviously no on-site press room for us. We had to go to the Marriott Marquis uh, up the up the street. Not too far away, but... No, not at all. Uh, but I mean, um, it was I, a challenge. I'm, I'm, I mean, if it had been raining, it would have been a challenge. Yeah. But it w- the weather was decent for the days that I was there. Yeah. And... Uh, Getting to the to the press room was actually there was less congestion because there were fewer crowd. You, you didn't have to fight the crowd down to the sh- to the co- the expo That's floor. True. That's true. But um, yeah, I there was a lot going on there. Yeah, I, and I think that there is just a. Th- it's hard to put everything in perspective after a show like that. But so I think what we'll try to do here is without looking, you know, just instinct, Peter. What stood out. Uh, and and spend a couple minutes on on just a couple of items, um, order in our brains, and then run through it, give uh, the listeners and readers uh, a sense of what what we thought mattered there. So I can go first, or you can go first. It's up to you. Please, you go first. Okay. What stood out to me was, uh, and I, I, this may be like recency bias creeping in because I just read Mike's uh, story about hacking back. Michael Heller, senior mm-hmm. reporter, who's unfortunately, I feel bad mentioning him because he's still there. We're recording this on a Friday, April 20th. We're both back uh, from the show. Mike is still there. Mike, love you. Uh, but I just read his story, edited his story on hacking back. And I got to say, that is an interesting theme that seems to uh, it. it I don't want to say it's gaining traction, but it feels like more people are pushing it, which is strange. 
So there was a panel that he wrote about, I did not attend this panel, where everybody on the panel, you know, three, three different people, three different bra- backgrounds, one legal, one DARPA, one security vendor, they all kind of said, yeah, it's something we should consider or we, it's something we should flat out do. Uh, and I know that there was a discussion at uh, in, in uh, one of the keynotes, uh, DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically said, didn't use the term hacking back, but you know, kind of intimated that, that that's something that should be explored or, or didn't rule it out. Other people have talked about this over the course of the show, and it's just... It's weird. It's it's. I thought this was something that had kind of been shut down, and when you contrast it to what was talked about by other people at the show, Brad Smith, Microsoft president, he did his usual keynote. They announced the t- the cybersecurity tech accord, uh, which you know includes Cisco, Microsoft, Facebook, big companies, about thirty companies, and they said no offense we're not going to do offensive hacking we're not going to be commissioned by our government to attack people or enterprises that's not what we're going to do so there seems to be an interesting split there so i i was really surprised that that all of a sudden uh hacking back and offensive measures have have started to kind of creep back into the to the infosec discussion so uh that was that was my quick first takeaway uh peter what about you? What well, stands out in your mind? I mean, in addition to the to the way that uh, people who you normally talk to about one topic, who all of a sudden were talking about things like GDPR, even though it was it would ordinarily be not be something that you would go they they wouldn't be the go to person you would call up to ask about GDPR, but talking to them. Um, it just sort of organically would come up. GDPR and DNS uh, were the two things. Now, I'm predisposed to being interested in those things, so it might be uh, uh, you know, a bias there. But uh, surprisingly enough, people, as I said, pe- people that you would ordinarily, that I would ordinarily talk to about vulnerability disclosure w- all of a sudden were somehow bringing up GDPR, bringing up DNS. Um, the DNS thing was interesting. Yeah, you mentioned that. So. Yeah, and and um, and reaching across other things because the, the 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 interesting thing about DNS and and GDPR is that there's a nexus there with the Internet uh, Corporation for Assigned Numbers and Names. Yeah, I can uh, and GDPR under GDPR, uh, I can would have to protect privacy of all of the names. And that's a DNS thing because the uh, malicious actors are using DNS like crazy to to um, uh, to register all these domain names that they use for botnet control sure. and for phishing and for counterfeiting. And if you take away the I- the who is service and make that private, then that's a key thing for security researchers. And at the same and time, law enforcement and law enforcement. And at the same time, if you do that, uh, you have to log all of the you, you not only close that off to the researchers, but you also expose the researchers to be because they're making queries. Yeah. And then the malicious actors can now find out who's making queries I on them. I thought of that. All right, I got to scrub my queries now. Uh, <laughs> is there a way to do that? <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah. So all a, a, as we talked about at the beginning, all of these sort of threat, these plot lines are starting to come together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the, the people who nor ordinarily talk about um, uh, political, legislative type things are now talking about privacy. The people yep. who, are, who are ordinarily talking about um, uh, intrusion detection are talking about, you know, now they, they've got other things where it's starting to come together. And I think that's good. I think that's a sign of maturity with the industry because um, when you talk in other industries, you can, you can be generally uh, knowledgeable about the whole area. And you don't necessarily, I mean, you do have people that are very specialized, but you also have people that are, that are generalists that are, yeah. that are able to, to talk, you know, uh, intelligently about the whole, you know, the overview. Yeah, yeah, no. That's and who are, who are running things and who are, who are pulling the levers behind the, yeah. the scenes. I mean, you mentioned GDPR. That was going to be my next one as well. I heard a, a ton about... I, I guess I should amend that statement. I heard a, a lot of surface references and discussions about GDPR and how, hey, we need to do something. This is important. I didn't hear a lot of tangible sort of this is something that people overlook with GDPR. This is something that you should be doing specifically. Uh, there was some of that. But overall, it seemed it was just like, you know, let me put it this way. Uh if this was a college drinking game and I had to drink every time someone said GDPR, <laughs> I'd be like uh, I'd be like John Bonham. I, I, I mean, all due respect to the great Led Zeppelin drummer. I mean, I, I mean, I'd be dead. I'd be pickled. Uh, it's just it, it's it's sort of becoming like a like a like a term more than something that people should be acting on almost. And that was a little weird for me because there are certain things that. I mean, like you mentioned with the DNS and I can't like there are things that are going to happen with that law. And we've talked about the ransomware stuff in the past, the previous episode that people need to be aware of. And it just doesn't seem like a lot of the specifics are really getting drilled down into in discussions about it. What did, what did you find? To some extent, I agree, mm. um, because some of the some of the uh, th some of the exposure I had to people talking about GDPR uh, as you mentioned, and I mean, GDPR has been on our horizon for at least two years. Um, I've been writing about it since they approved the legislation, uh, which which is almost two years ago now, uh, just about a month short, because that's how they. It was two years from the from the approval of the legislation that the enforcement begins with May twenty fifth of this year. Um, and a lot of the coverage, I mean, the, uh, the initial coverage we did was, what is GDPR? What is it going to do? What do you have to do? How do you have to, uh, you know, what are the things that you have to do to comply with it? And what I've noticed over the last two years when uh, in doing the, the GDPR coverage is that a lot of people still think that the big story is that nobody's ready for it. A lot of people still think that the big story is what is it? Let's define it. Let's let's tell people what it is. But I think that if you're if you're in, if you're going to be responsible in any way for GDPR, you already know what it is. You're as you mentioned, you're looking for tangible, actionable intelligence that you can use to do things with. And I there were two sessions that I went to on the first day. I was there on Tuesday. Um, the first one was a couple of. Uh, gentlemen who are who had responsibility for GDPR and 
I have to go back to my notes to, to be 100% certain, but my, my impression of that session was that there was a lot of talk about, you know, here are some strategies you can use to approach this. Here's ways that you can build your team. Here's ways that you can uh, start thinking about what you're doing with your data, you know, do data that's inventories. Good. Yeah. The, well, the, uh, that's a good it's a start. It is a start, but I mean, those were the stories that we were doing maybe six to 12 uh, months ago. Listen. But the good side is uh, the, the second GDPR session I went to on Tuesday was uh, presented by Cindy Compert, who is a CTO at IBM. And in addition to ha- giving it a theme and giving it a, a fun kind of uh, overview where, where the title of the session was Cooking with GDPR. Yeah, yeah. And she, she shared some re- – she, she didn't share as many recipes as I was hoping for in this in the session because yeah. she was doing content. Yeah. She was she did give a, a, a mai tai recipe to start uh, with, of course, because you got to have a, a drink and relax sure, while sure. you talk about this stuff. And a strong drink is good too. Yeah, yeah. But um, but she gave tangible. She she demonstrated some of the tools that, that she's um, been encountering and using, and she gave specific recommendations, not just build a data inventory, but here are ways to do that. Here yeah. are ways you can use um, AI and machine learning to, to, to dig through your data and find the, um, the kinds of data that you're, that you're storing and what, you need, what you're going to be responsible yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was a mixed bag. I think that uh, we're not, on May 26th, we're still going to be talking about GDPR. In fact, we'll probably be ca- talking about it even more. Someone who's been fined under GDPR, maybe. Well... The impression I got from the people that seemed to know what they were talking about was that we're not going to. There's not going to be a May 26th announcement of a giant four mm. percent fine on right. GDPR. Right, not within 24 hours. Right, right. Uh, maybe not even within a week. Uh, the impression I, I got that. from um, from Cindy was that um, w- the the point of the uh, of the exercise is not to penalize companies hugely necessarily. Unless they deserve it, but to work with companies to protect the privacy. Sure, rights but as we've seen, and I'll just end with this: mm. we've seen a lot of companies that deserve it. Equifax, Uber, etc. So, I mean, we'll see. I mean, that's good that that there are at least discussions like that happening. Um, I, 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 so next point I wanted to mention. You know, I was at the uh, the the session that. On Spectre, mm. the Spectre flaws. Uh, Paul uh, Coker was one of the researchers behind the um, the the vulnerability disclosure that that he he and uh, I think Jan Horn, Project Zero, and a few of the other um, guys, uh, university researchers. I mean, I don't recall their names. I apologize. But he talked. He kind of went through the whole you know finding. The, the vulnerability, everything that led up to it, what it did, how it can be used, et cetera, et cetera. And he talked a lot about the disclosure process, which we know is broken, and you know how the vendors reacted to it. And it was pretty interesting just to get it from his perspective, somebody that went through this. He talked about how it was just an absolute mess. And you know, he didn't want to go into like a lot of specific details about who caused the mess. I mean, I, you know, I asked him at one point during the session, I said, was this disclosure process a mess because of 
there's just too many people because of the nature of the flaws and how many how many things they affected or is it because of the way the vendors handled it and he said it's both you know intel for for example did not have a a bug bounty program that that or or any type of sort of vulnerability they, they don't consider side channel ch- attacks of that nature to be a vulnerability and at one point he actually during his presentation he actually said you know a lot of people have asked is this really a vulnerability and he didn't say the words yes it's a vulnerability but he explained why he you know uh, my impression why he thinks it is it doesn't matter that it was working correctly speculative execution he said you know you made a design error in your pursuit of speed that allows attackers to take advantage of something it's a vulnerability so that was a, a really enlightening session really well done um, by Paul and and just uh, very informative so and he was on the cryptographers panel too he kind of referenced some of that as well so uh, so that that's 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 my my point Peter what's next for you well I, you know you mentioned um, hack back hacking back yes and to some extent I, I have to say Another really great presentation was uh, presented by Katie Musaris, uh, CEO and founder of uh, Luda Security, and um, and really one of the leading lights of the of the bug bounty uh, movement. And her presentation was was about bug bounties, but also, but but more importantly, was about how bug bounties can be made to work better and how sometimes they are not as productive as you want them to be. And one of the things that she talked about was that when, when you have bounties, sometimes you're, you're encouraging the wrong kind of uh, results. Um, so, and, and this was not one that she, uh, this was not necessarily something that I recall her saying s- explicitly, but bounties in general, um, th- I remember here reading about um, Bounties on poisonous snakes, I think, in mm. in a country in either in maybe it was India or maybe it was Egypt, where uh, the government decided they wanted to to uh, get rid of all the dangerous poisonous snakes. So they offered a bounty on these things, and the result was not that all the snakes were eliminated, but that the b- bounty hunters were farming the snakes for the bounties because they knew that they, if they could raise these snakes, they could turn them in. Um, and make a lot of money and the more that they turned in the more money they could make so uh, by the same token when you do have uh, software bounties or bug bounties in software or, or, or systems you're you're encouraging people to look for uh, the easiest ones that they can find and as many of them as you can find so so you wind up getting flooded with these things and um, to get back to the point about hacking back when you encourage people outside of your group or control when you when you open it up to the when you open up an, an activity or a or a, um, an objective to anybody who wants to do it yeah like when you when you get vigilantes going out and doing stuff there's a reason why we don't encourage vigilantism because the results are not always so positive not great. Not they're great. often yeah. terrible yeah. but um and the same goes for uh as for bug bounties, as for, as for hacking back, when you when you get amateurs out trying to be professionals, 
the results are not pretty. So yeah. um, I think that's another one of those one of those plot lines that's starting to come together. Yeah, it's starting to, to touch a lot of different areas. I, I should note that I heard some interesting, I had interesting conversations and heard some interesting things about bug bounty programs and just who's using them, how they're being used, what's um, what's happening on the on the legislative side, policy side, in terms of how we treat uh, security researchers, bug hunters, et cetera, et cetera, uh, et cetera. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, that's going to inform, I think, a lot of what's going to happen uh, in general in the InfoSec industry as we move forward and try to be better about patching and finding fixes and finding stuff before the uh, you know the attackers exploit them. So, um, and I, that kind of touches on my last point, Peter. I, there, th- there was a lot of stuff going on at that show about um, AI, uh, machine learning, as as it has been uh, recently. Uh, a lot on incident response services. I think we can we can probably um, save that for the next discussion because that could be a long one. But I, I wanted to, to say that uh, I had a lot of people telling me, and I heard a lot of people telling me in sessions, attribution doesn't matter, cyber attribution. You know, um, zero days don't matter. You, you know, I, I talked with a number of people who said, hey, we, we, we do incident response. We've never had an incident that was triggered by a zero day. It's almost always phishing attacks, drive-by downloads, people clicking on something they shouldn't click in an email or on a website, malvertising, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and they said, they said attribution doesn't matter because enterprises in particular don't care. They just want it fixed. They know they're probably not going to be able to bring those people to justice anyways. And all you're doing is just wasting extra time and, and, and effort on trying to figure out who it is. Yeah, you should get as much telemetry data and, and data about who's behind the threat, but really making the legal case, the public case for who's behind that, they said it's just, it doesn't matter, it's wasted time. Not not totally wasted, but it's compared to everything else that you need to do, a waste. So there's an impression for you, boom. Yeah. Do you want to well, end it? Uh, or do you want to weigh in on the attribution part first? Well, I, I think the interesting thing is that uh, there, there's certain certain of these plot lines to go back to my original uh, analogy but so there, there's certain storylines that keep running through every RSA where, where we're told and and outside of RSA as well when we talk to, to people who are security experts they, they, they say yeah the zero days are interesting and they're important in, in a way but they're not the most important things the most important things are to, to get rid of the cross-site scripting uh, vulnerabilities to yeah. pat you know get rid of SMB v1 yep. to stop using SHA1 and MD5 yep. to you know there's a lot of things that we know what need to be done and and the quotes there we there's tons and tons of quotes all over the place by by people who are experts saying you know focus on the on the um, the top 10 vulnerabilities that we that we listed 15 years ago and you'll be able to eliminate a lot of your security issues because because people are, are, you know, default passwords for 
example, hard-coded default passwords in devices and, and, si and, and not just devices, but in servers and, and, and software, where if you can eliminate those simple things, you can make it a lot, the life of the attacker a lot harder. So those, that kind of um, narrative keeps running through. Uh, this is my third RSA, and yeah. I mean, that yeah. one way or another, that usually pops up in, in, in a lot of places. But yeah. is attribution not important? I think, um, I, I think that when you tighten up the ship a little, you know, when you tighten up the operation so that you're not letting people just know do it min and min to get access and then pivot to the to the whole to own the whole network um, you may be able to find ways to to do better attribution same like with DNS if you're if you're if you're catching um, a botnet command and control network um, and if you can track that down then you have a better idea who you can attribute it to sure. as opposed to somebody logging into your um, to your router with uh, admin admin that's that's harder to trace. Yeah. So, um, okay. But so, so, closing, closing impression, thought from you on the show. Anything else that stood out before we run out of time? They're probably well. Let's come back to that next week <laughs> <laughs> after I've gone through all my notes and and. Uh, no, no gut, no. I kind lightning I, round. I thought it was. Uh, even though th there were supposed to be 50,000 people there, I th it felt less congested to me. Partially because I didn't have to go up and down those escalators to the basement press room in Moscone North. You found it was easier to get around? I did. I know. It's oh, not. Peter. You d I know you don't believe me. Peter. I don't know about that. I All right. Th I think bypassing that, like I never went down uh, between Moscone North and uh, 4th Street. I never, uh, like I only did that we're gonna Walk once, once or twice. We're gonna ha have to hash this out offline. I don't think the <laughs> listeners gonna—they're they're gonna be interested in hearing me complain about my crowd phobias and you know lecturing <laughs> about the design choices of the Musk, you know, redesigned Moscone Center. Um, but that's interesting. All right, I guess we really are yin and yang sometimes. It was my impression, though. All right. I mean, you did ask for impressions. I guess impressions can't be wrong. Incorrect. They can't be incorrect, but they could be wrong, I mm -hmm. guess, maybe. Well, regardless, Peter, thank you for joining me on this podcast. This, uh, I guess, we would part one of our RSA uh, wrap-up, wrap-up, recap, impressions. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you for going to RSA with me. And, yeah, let's, let's stop. Okay, let's stop. Because that's right. part of my job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, fair enough. Uh, and thank you to the readers and listeners of Search Security. I'm Rob Wright. And we will see you next time.